0: Well, what's up, fam? How's it going? Oh, come on, come on, come on. I can't be the only person in this room awake right now. How's it going? Yeah. Yes, thank you. See, what you're going to never get out of me is uh, I was... Okay, so uh, I'm going to get you... Uh, so to be able to do this really exciting all at the same time and a big... Have a donkey, have a colt. to free. Tea. You can pay for that right now, right? It's, it's just not going to happen that way. It's just totally crazy. And this is what sets up, um, right? But anyway, I'm just kidding. I love you, Kristen. Um, but... It was a parade and Michael and all three people that were there clapped. It was awesome. Like I loved it. It was super. I mean, we all love a good parade, right? You're probably thinking of a parade that maybe you've seen this, this awesome parade. I know our church was involved in in, uh, parades in the past and COVID and all that stuff. So we have parades and we love parades and they're awesome. And it's fun to see, you know, people dancing and the music going and it's just exciting, right? We all love a good parade. Well, let me show you a parade in the Bible, Matthew 21, continuing on here right after Jesus got the donkeys. It said this, most of the crowd spread their coats in the road while others were cutting branches from the tree. They were palm branches and that's why it's Palm Sunday. They were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road and the crowds going ahead of him. And those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all of the city was stirred saying, who is this? Giant parade. So much so that people are so excited that Jesus is in Jerusalem that they start saying, We got to do anything we can to make sure the donkeys don't touch the dirt. That's how much respect we want to show to God's prophet. This is amazing that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. And so they're taking these palm branches and throwing them on the ground. Can you imagine walking down the street and you are so excited that someone's coming? So you start taking your shirt off and throw it on the floor. That's what's happening. That's what they're doing. They're so excited that Jesus is in Jerusalem. And the people who don't know are going, man, who is this? They're saying, man, it's Jesus. It's the prophet of God. He is here. And they are shocked and they are amazed. And they give him this huge, over-the-top welcome. So why is Jesus here? Why is Jesus coming to Jerusalem? Why is he riding on a colt? What's going on here? What is happening in Jerusalem, basically? okay, It's Passover. And they are there to celebrate. They are there to party and have fun and remember why they were given this life. They were given, if you have watched, let me, let me briefly talk about Passover. Has anybody in this room, please tell me there's some Christians in here that have watched the Prince of Egypt. Yes. 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 Yes, my people, yes. Anytime, watch Party, Prince of Egypt, I'm in. Like, I'm there, just get the popcorn, I'm there. It's gonna happen, okay? But I love that movie, but... So if you've watched that movie, you've already got a head start on what Passover is. Here it is. Passover is when all the plagues were happening in Egypt, right? And the Hebrews were slaves, and they were building all that stuff and doing all those things for the Egyptians. That all those plagues started to happen, and Moses is there. Let my people go, right? You guys know the song, come on. Do I need to sing it? Okay, I'll sing it. So... That's what's happening. That's what's going on. The nine plagues come in, and the ninth plague is the most disastrous of all the plagues because it requires the firstborn in each household to die. And to get out of it, so that your family would not have to endure uh, this plague, you would take an unblemished male lamb, you would slay it, right? You would take the blood and mark your doorpost of your house, and then you would cook the lamb. Eat what you need and burn the leftovers. That was their ceremony. That's what they were doing. So that night when the angel of death, you could say, came swooping over Egypt, if they saw the blood on your doorpost, they would pass over your house. And so that's what they're celebrating right here the week Jesus comes to Jerusalem. They're celebrating Passover. It's the promise of life, the promise of freedom, the promise of redemption really is what it's about. Of how God saved us and brought us out of Egypt and made us a free people. And so that's what they are celebrating. And just for context, so you know, Passover begins right now when Jesus is walking in town, basically. And it ends at, la- at the Last Supper where he shares communion with his disciples. So just for context on what Passover looks like that week. That's how long it lasts. So up until Matthew, I think it's chapter 24, when communion happens and Jesus is there for the Last Supper, that is their Passover meal. That's what they're celebrating right there. So if you're ever wondering, that's what it is, just for context. And so Jesus comes into town and he's riding on this colt, riding on his donkeys, and he's pumped, he's excited. And as customary for any rabbi, when you are a teacher, when you are a preacher, a pastor, a priest, whatever, and you're coming to Jerusalem, there's one place that you have to go first. You want to go see the temple. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's jaw-dropping. It's, it's amazing. And Jesus is like, I'm a rabbi, and I want to go see the temple. And so upon going to the temple, he gets there, and he's all excited about getting to the temple. But when he gets there, he actually becomes furious. He's no longer excited about the parade. He is now extremely angry. You see, what was happening, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but what was happening in the temple is they were charging like crazy prices for sacrifices. So you would normally say, hey, if I can't afford a ram, I would go buy two turtle doves instead, and I would use those as a sin offering or whatever it may be. And they were charging like crazy. It's kind of like 9 millimeter ammo right now. Can I get a witness? Okay. It is so hard to get, right? And so you're there, so you got to buy it. It's like going to Disneyland, and you're like, hey, can I get a hot dog and a water? And they're like, yes, it'll be $89.99, right? And you're like, what in the world? Like, I'm not buying for them. I'm buying for just me. I just want a hot dog and a cup of water. Like, yep, yeah. the cup of water is $89.99. I was like, oh my gosh, right? That's Disneyland. But where else are you going to get a hot dog right now? You're not. Go to downtown Disney. It's still just as bad. I don't care where you go. They can charge that price because they know you're going to pay for it. There's not a chance in the world. So when Jesus goes to the temple, he sees all these people. He sees priests and leaders who have allowed this to happen. And they're saying, yeah, we're selling these uh, two turtle doves for a million bucks. It's yours, right? And people are paying for it. And Jesus loses his mind, right, in the best way possible. And it's one of the most out-of-character moments that we see from Jesus. And really this whole week of Passover that Jesus is in Jerusalem, it's almost a whole lot of -of out-of-character moments that we don't see from Jesus prior to this. And he starts going wild on these people, He says, this is not a house of prayer, or this is a house of prayer, not a house of profit. You are not in this thing to see what you can get out of people. You're in this thing to see what you can help and give to people. We're not in this to see what I can get from you. I'm in this to see what I can give to you. That's the role of ministry That's the role of, of what God has set up in his house And I say house and this is just a building I'm talking about in us And, and so that when we come together it should be about how can I serve you How can you serve me uh, You know, it's, it's, That's how it works That's how God set up his kingdom No one is above another No one is trying to take advantage of another But that's what was happening here They were taking advantage of people. And so Jesus, Indiana Jones style, grabs a whip and starts whipping and going crazy and grabbing things. And he sees little tables and he just says, get out. He is furious. I got your attention, didn't I? He is furious. And he can't take it anymore. That's how angry he is. It seems out of character for a pastor to flip a table how much more so when Jesus is flipping every table with sacrifices and money covered on all of them and he doesn't care, he starts making a mess because the mess of stuff on the floor is better than the mess that was in their hearts. And he said, I'm done. I'm not doing this. You have made this a house of profit when it is a house of prayer. See, when you and I come together on days like Sundays and Wednesdays, we should be praying. Like I, I remember as a little kid, I always thought it was super weird. I walk into church and I saw people like hands on shoulder praying. And I was like, that's weird. That's what it should be. Yes. We should be coming together and praying and say, man, I'm with you. I'm standing with you. I'm here for you. And then more so when I'm at home and I'm alone, I should be a person of prayer. I'm totally giving away my entire sermon right now. Okay. But I don't care because I'm going to tell you, I'm going I'm to tell you about it. I'm going to tell you and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. We are people of prayer. That is who we should be. Okay? No, I'm not in this, so I can find cool little gems. I didn't come to church today to play a cool chord during Reckless Love. I didn't. I came to church today because I wanted to seek God in worship and in prayer. And as much as I might be preaching this morning, God has been speaking to me and challenging me these past couple of weeks as I've studied. Like Stevie, come on, man. You gotta pray. You gotta this is where it's at. My house is a house of prayer You are God's house The question this morning And I'm already totally going to my conclusion But are you a person of prayer I, That's who I want to be See as, as I've grown in my walk with God And as I've seen other people grow in their walk with God And I have so far to go comparatively I've never heard someone close with God say Man I just had enough The cry that I hear from people who are close to God is I want more I want more. I want that to be my cry. God, I just want more. God, I need more of your presence. I need more of your spirit. I need your wisdom. God, I'm dumb and I don't know how to handle this. I need your help, God. It comes through prayer. My house is a house of prayer. Well, if I am the temple of God, if I am his house, then I should be a person of prayer. That's who I should be. So the next time your kids are causing a ruckus in the house, remind them that flipping the table is an option. Okay. What would Jesus do? He'd flip it. He would flip the table. Remind your kids that. Cuz Jesus is furious because it's no longer about prayer. It's now about what I can get out of this thing. I can charge you way too much and you're going to pay it cuz you have no choice. Rather than saying, "Hey, I want to make this easy for you." This is Passover. This is a week of celebration. This is not a week for eighty nine ninety nine hot dogs. This is a week for us to come together to pray, to seek God, and, and to celebrate that he saved us from slavery in the Egyptians. Just as much as he saved you and I from the slavery of sin. We are now free people, and we should be celebrating that. So Jesus points this out, and this is day one, makes a mess in the temple. And in the next few days, the next three days, Jesus just goes on a rant. I think he kept the whip with him. Because... Everywhere he went, every single parable, every single lesson that we see from this point on until Jesus is betrayed is about the corruption and the deceitfulness found in the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he spends the next three days mocking them. Just completely, you could say it this way, making fun of them. And it almost seems out of character for Jesus, but really it's not. He's saying, you're lying to the people. You claim to know God, but I'm standing in front of you and you don't recognize me. How is that? How can me, God in the flesh, how can I stand right in front of you and you claim you have the Old Testament memorized, but you have no idea who I am? And so Jesus spends the next days just showing the people they are so wrong. What they have taught you is wrong. What they're leading you in is wrong. They're deceived. They are terrible and what they're doing they're seeing what they can get out of you to keep control to keep power over you and that's what they're trying to do And so jesus is like no i'm gonna spend this week in jerusalem setting things straight and this action that jesus takes is what leads him to be crucified because see they had talked about killing jesus before They had talked about putting him in prison and doing all these things. And in the the scriptures, you can see through the gospels that Jesus evaded them or got away or whatever. Maybe it always says his time had not yet come. Well, you don't see the sentence, his time had not yet come during Passover because his time had come. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, his Passover week, he sits there and he shows up and says, I'm the new king for the new kind of kingdom, and I want to tell you all about it. And he starts teaching them from the scriptures of what his kingdom is like. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of acceptance. It's a kingdom that will never end. And he says, this is, I want you to be aware. This is what it's going to look like when the end of the time comes. What's the end of the world going to look like? You're going to see these things. You can read all about that in Matthew 24. All these things that are happening. And Jesus says, this is what I need you to be prepared on this is what my kingdom is going to cause. It's going to cause some crazy things to happen now and many years from now. And so Jesus is there to really preach and teach and set things straight from the Pharisees and the Sadducees because he knows his time is short. Yes. And he's like, I gotta get as much information into you guys about truth as I can because obviously you guys are really deceived and you have not listened to what it really is in the scriptures. And so he does that. And then um, what happens is he goes through this whole week and we know the end of the story. We know that he was eventually imprisoned, beaten, crucified, And then three days later he rose from the dead Claiming our victory and giving us freedom and and forgiveness So that's how the week ends But I want to real quick go back to when it began And so I wanted to give you a brief overview of the week But I I really want to hone in on something that happened And no it wasn't flipping a table It was actually right after that That when Jesus went back to the town of Bethany And he went to bed And he came back Monday morning to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem And we'll pick up the story right there And we'll land the plane here for the rest of the day it says in the morning when he was returning to the city he became hungry so seeing a lone fig tree by the road he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves and he said to it no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you and at once the fig tree withered seeing this the disciples were amazed and they asked how did the fig tree wither all at once and Jesus answered them truly I say to you if you have faith and do not doubt you will not only do what was done to this fig tree but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So Jesus is there with his the disciples now. This is the morning after he flipped tables, and then he curses a fig tree. It's like, Jesus, he's on a roll. Like, he's, like, going after things. Like, dude, like, don't get in Jesus' way, or else he's going to curse you, and you're going to wither up, man. Like, man. That's what the disciples are probably thinking. Like, this is crazy. What is he doing, right? And they're amazed that this fig tree withers up right there. And they're like, how in the world did that just happen? And we'll get into Jesus' response later. But that's what's happening right here. It's because of this. Before we go any further, I want you and I to understand that Jesus has no problem cursing that which pretends to offer life but is dead inside. He has no problem cursing it. Because... You've heard this word before, hypocrite. I've heard that word so many times growing up. That was me as a teenager, hypocrite. I said, I believed something. And I would do something totally out of what I said I believed in. Hypocrite. And so Jesus has no problem cursing that which says, hey, I have something to offer you, but it gives you nothing. It gives you no substance. It is a barren fig tree. And he had no problem saying you promised health and you gave me nothing. And so Jesus cursed That fig tree. That's what Jesus' approach to us or to things that do not produce fruit for his kingdom. He says, you say you're promising this, but you're not delivering on that promise. And it's a push aside. And I don't say that in a way that Jesus is like, can't wait to push you out of the way. But Jesus is very super, super, super focused on you and I saying, if I believe this, I had better act this out. Jesus is hyper-focused on that because he does not want us representing his kingdom in a way that is unbecoming. Let's, be, let's just say it as it is, and we should not be running around accepting sin into our lives. Okay, I'm going to say it that way. right? We should, that's not who we are. We are the people of God, and we should stand up for what's right. right? We should be the, on the front lines of standing up for what's right. That's what Jesus was doing this week. He eventually got him crucified because he stood up for what was right. That's who we are. Jesus has no problems confronting something that is hypocritical and saying, no, push aside. Sorry, I got no time for this. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy, a waste of effort. I'm moving on. Push aside, keep going. And I don't, like I said, I don't say that in a way that's just like, oh. No, I say that in a way to encourage you to say, you know what? I don't want to be that. I'm, I'm going to step out of that role, and I'm going to step more into the role of, yes, Jesus, I'm following you. So there's great hope for you. It's not that Jesus is pushing you aside and casting you aside forever. It's just, it's just hey, you know what? I was wrong. I'm going to do what's right now. And I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to repent and and change my mind about this. And so there's a couple things that I want to dive into today uh, about this fig tree. Like I said, we're going to land the plane here for the rest of the day. Point number one that I want to talk about the fig tree is the fig tree is symbolic of Israel. All right, the fig tree represents the nation, the people, Israel. All right, it's right there. The the fig tree is the fruit bearing tree in the desert. It does not require to have a sprinkler. It does not require you to prune it and take care of all the dead branches on it. A fig tree just grows and grows and grows and grows. In the desert, it grows, it grows, it grows. And it just produces fruit like crazy. It does not require anything of you, the owner, to tend to the tree. It just does its thing. It just has a great life. It just produces a bunch of fruit over and over and over again. And so it's it's a symbol of Israel, right? Because it wasn't about where the tree was. The tree was in the desert. But it's about who was with them God was with them And so Israel was the fruit producing people Of God in the desert It didn't matter if they were in Egypt It didn't matter if they were in the wilderness for 40 years They were producing And they were growing And they were blessed Because God was with them And so that's one thing we need to know That the the, the fig tree represents Israel And that's going to really set the scene For the rest of the sermon today You can see In the Old Testament, that a sign of prosperity was to have a fig tree on your land that you could go sit under and eat figs, right? Just get the lawn chair out, watch a parade, eat a fig. That was a sign of like, wow, you're blessed. That's awesome, man. It's a really cool thing. It's in the book of Daniel. Another thing in the Old Testament is that when Israel was blessed and they were obedient to God, the fig trees were producing fruit like crazy, And then in times where they were disobedient, in times where they were not following God, the fig trees would stop producing fruit or at least hold back how much fruit they were producing prior. It all changed. And um, thinking about this tree, isn't it logical to say that if there's a lone lone fig tree, one tree on the side of the road, a busy road, and everyone wants to eat, isn't it logical to say that this tree shouldn't have any fruit on it? How many people are in Jerusalem? A lot. How many people are walking by that tree? A lot. Can that tree suffice for everyone? No, eventually the tree is going to run out of fruit. But remember, the tree is symbolic of Israel. And it just so happens that Jesus walks up to this tree to go get a fruit and it has nothing to offer him. Just like the Pharisees. Hey, we got good leaves. Everything looks great. Come over here, man. We got health. We got satisfaction. It's what you've been looking for. And they have nothing to deliver on just like this barren fig tree. And this tree as it represents Israel, I don't find coincidence in the Bible. I see how God orchestrates something. And so looking at this, the fig tree on the week of Jesus's betrayal, his death, his resurrection, the fig tree dries up. Just as Israel had their time as the fruit bearing people of God in the desert, it was just there momentary until a new covenant had to come into play. A new promise had to come into play. And it just so happens to be the week of peace over, uh, of Passover that Jesus then, bless, uh, Jesus then curses the fig tree, the old representation of Israel. and says, no, this time is now over and it's time for something new that will satisfy. And it's not just for the people of Israel, but it is for every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every color. It is for everyone. And that's what Jesus came to set up for us And it just so happens that the week of Passover, the fig tree representing Israel dries up. I don't find it coincidental. I find it as an act of God saying, this is my direction. He, Jesus Christ, is the door to the kingdom of heaven now. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And so Jesus Jesus comes up to this tree because it has all the indicators of health. Has all the indications of man? What I'm going to get from this is going to satisfy my breakfast hunger. Okay, he probably needed a cup of coffee after that. Some holy grounds. Okay, Hebrews, right? He needed some coffee. There's there's some there's some little Christian Bible jokes for you. I feel really dumb. So, but Jesus Jesus went to this tree because it offered him everything and it gave him nothing. And so Jesus is like, man, it's just like the Pharisees, and he uses this analogy for the rest of the week. So, it's only recorded one time in, in the next few paragraphs of the Bible. It's only recorded one time that Jesus refers to this. But it, it was recorded enough, it happened enough that the disciples thought, man, I need to write about the fig tree again. Jesus brought up the fig tree after the fig tree, and Jesus spoke about the fig tree throughout the rest of the week. He's there, he's like, man, I got, I got to talk about this. So, Jesus shows up to town, just like the fig tree, and he walks into town. He sees the singing, he, he sees the crowds, he sees the celebration. He finds it all, but he doesn't find righteousness. Just like a fig tree. He, he finds the leaves, but he finds no fruit. And he says, man, he comes into town and that's why he flips the table and that's why he curses fig trees because it has the appearance of health, but it offers nothing. And to Jesus, is like, I've had enough. This is over. The, the, the new way that I need to set up is actually quite the opposite. It's gonna be very little show and a whole lot of substance. And that's what Jesus's kingdom is about. Not that you and I would walk around and, and, you know, I don't know, glory in ourselves, but that we, we'd, we'd be humble people. A people with a whole lot of substance and a whole lot of fulfillment, a whole lot of joy inside of us, but with very little theatrics. And that's what was happening. Jerusalem was the opposite, a whole bunch of theatrics and no substance. And Jesus could not take it anymore. And he says, away with all of these things, away with all, all of that uh, I remember as a teenager, I told you earlier, you wouldn't give me the mic. As a teenager, I lived such a lie. I lied to my mom for years. She, she, she didn't even know who I was. Like, being honest, I, I lived with my dad at the time, and I would just lie to my mom like crazy. And I would always pretend that I wasn't a bad kid, pretend that I wasn't doing what every other kid was doing. And I'm sitting there going, God, what's going on with me? Like, my life sucks. (laughs) I hate this. I hate lying constantly and and mercilessly to my mom. Like I said, she did not know who I was. But I'd show up to church on Wednesday night. I'd show up to church on Sunday morning. And my youth pastor was like, bro, you're so on fire for God. This is awesome. Like, you encourage me. And this is so much fun. And I'm sitting there going, yeah. And on the inside, I'm going, if you only knew what I was doing last night. If you only knew... The hurt I caused them, the hurt I caused me. Like, if you only knew what I was doing, you would say, Stevie, bro, we need to sit down and we need to talk. I'd spent years lying to my mom, but more than that, I spent years lying really to God. And, and, and I'm sitting there, and to myself, exactly. And I'm sitting there in church services and I'm going, yeah, this is great. This is cool. God, I don't even think you're real, but awesome. This is cool. Great. Oh, that was a good point. Whatever. And I'd push it off because in my heart, I was just gone. I was nowhere there, but I had to go to church because I was a teenager and my mom made me. And so I spent years lying to my mom thinking, hey, if mom doesn't know, then it's going to be okay. Just lie to mom. And if she, you know, she doesn't know that I'm doing these crazy things on Friday nights, then we're good. But if I can just get by, if I can just you know get by enough, and it came to a head. I was a junior in high school in um, April 1st, 2005. And I said, God, I can't do this. I said, I don't know if you're there. I don't know if you're real, but... If you are, if you'll take away these desires that I have for these things and you really help me out with this, I'll give you the rest of my life. It was like in an instant. My desires on the inside just changed. And I found freedom because I wasn't having to lie anymore. And I sat down with my mom and I was like, mom, I need to be honest with you. I need to break down what I, who I am and what I've been doing. Because for the last four years, I don't know how many truths I've actually told you. I sat down and I just like broke to my mom and just, Mom, I'm sorry. My dad knew a little bit. I was more open with him. My mom had no clue who her son was. But how much more I didn't even know who I was. I had lied so much, I had now accepted this lie of who I was and who I was supposed to be. And in a moment, God wrecked me and my life changed drastically. You see, I'd show up to church and I was a fig tree, I'd have these great leaves. It's all good, everything looks great, it's all good. I I love Jesus, I love God, this is awesome. And when people would come up, I I could offer them nothing. My roots had dried up. I I couldn't give them anything of value other than another lie. And I thought, that's not who I wanna be. I, I wanna be someone who has, yeah, I want the leaves, obviously it's health, but I want the fruit. So when Jesus comes by my life and he reaches, there's fruit for his kingdom. There's something of substance that he can grab a hold of and said, yes, well done, good and faithful servant. Good job. If that tree would have had one piece of fruit on it, it would have been awesome. But it wasn't, it had nothing. I was that fig tree. And I had the appearance of, hey man, it's good. I love Jesus. Let's go to summer camp, hot diggity dog. But I offered nothing of substance In times of worship, in times of prayer in church, in times of listening to the Bible, of times of helping someone else, I offered nothing. I was a fig tree, barren and alone. Until I gave my life to him, all of a sudden I found true freedom. And I found life and I found substance and I found something of value. And I said, yes, I will give my life to this. And thank God I don't have to live a lie anymore. I don't lie. I, I, I think lying is like the most worst things in the entire world. You can ask my wife. Like I told her, I said, anything, like anything in life, just please do not lie to me. Like I just cannot do it because I spent years in a lie and it's something I can no longer accept in my life. And I have found freedom because the truth will set you free. So even a liar like me can be set free. Second thing about the fig tree, and this is gonna be like, What? You're gonna, I'm going to read the scripture and you to go, why are you talking about that? Check it out. The fig tree was used to cover sin. Genesis chapter three, in the very beginning of it all, when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin coverings. As we're going through the book of Genesis on Wednesday nights right now with Pastor Sam, which is totally awesome. Get here on Wednesday. It's, it's so much fun. Uh, but he was, he was reading this, and so I kind of, like, read ahead. I'm sorry. And um, I want to know what the answers were going to be, right? So I read ahead, and I'm looking at there, and I see the fig tree, the, the fig leaves. They used fig leaves to cover up their mistake. And I look at this, and I was like, hold on a second. This is exactly what Jesus, like, cursed the week of Passover, he cursed the fig leaves, the fig tree. He cursed this. Why is this so? Parents, let me, let me speak directly to your heart right now. If you have kids, okay, and you tell those kids, go clean your room, right? Isn't it awesome when they obey, right? Just the other day, it was a couple weeks ago, Chris and I were sitting on the couch and we're like, guys, go clean those rooms. Spick and span. We have this phrase in our house, it's called mom clean, um, like as if mom would do it, make it mom clean, right? We don't have a phrase in the house, dad clean, okay? Because apparently I can't clean, I don't know. But we have a phrase, it's mom clean. You can totally steal it if you want, go for it. But is, is it mom clean is the question all the time, right? So we send the kids upstairs, go upstairs, clean your rooms, mom clean, all right? And they go uh, they run upstairs and I was like, wow, obedient kids, killing this dad thing, right? I'm like patting myself on the back. I'm like, yes, dad of the parade, dad of this house. I'm the king of this mansion. This is awesome, right? And so the kids go run upstairs and they go clean their rooms. And I think they transpired together because it got done really fast. And so we're sitting there. I'm like, that was really quick. And that doesn't make any sense to me. So I go up there and long and behold, I look and carpet, I can see the carpet in my kids' room. It was amazing, right? I didn't know the carpet was even in there. It was awesome. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, the room is clean. This is my kids. Not only are they obedient, they're efficient. Go clean my room, right? It's like, this is amazing, right? I was like, wow, I'm raising some good kids. And so upon further inspection, I started just looking around and the bed was made and the blankets were just so perfectly touching the floor on each side. And I was like, hold on a second. That bed has never been that clean. And so I look in the closet. That's where the little hampers are, right? I look in there. Hampers empty. And I was like, where's the dirty clothes? because those little rascals did not come downstairs to put them in the big hamper, okay? There's no clothes in this little hamper. And there was tons of dirty clothes around here. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna gonna keep looking around here, but I'm not gonna yell yet, but I'm about to flip a table, okay? (laughs) And so so I'm sitting there and I start looking around the room and long, I mean, the dresser looks clean. The shelves look clean. The floor is clean. I, I think they even vacuumed. It was amazing. I take their little memory foam five pound mattress and I pick it up, and I lift it up above my head. And where is everything that was on the floor under the bed? Trash wrappers. They're not even allowed to eat in their rooms. <laughs> Tell me how that Twinkie got in there, bro. I want to know. Okay, they can't eat in there. The dirty clothes are under there. I think there was even like a pillow under there. I'm like, a pillow goes on the bed, not under it. Like, come on, guys. Like, even I know that, right? My like, guys, come on. This is not mom clean, right? They had taken their trash and all they did was just cover it. They took their mistake and they just covered it. Thinking, hey, this will suffice. This will do the job. If we can't see the mess, then it's not messy. Right? No, 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 no. Adam and Eve. If I can cover the mess, if I can make some undies out of a fig tree and cover the mess that I now see, mess doesn't exist. Really breaking it down, this was man's first attempt at religion. I'm going to do what I can to cover up my shame. I'm going to do what I can to cover up my sin. It's man's attempt to fulfill God's promise. Adam and Eve, no matter how hard they tried, they could not remove their shame. They could not remove their mistake. All they did was just tuck it under the bed. Just hide it. Just leave it right there. Hey, I'm not going not to not look at it. not going to talk about it. It's gone. You can't see it. No, the issue is very much still there. You're just covering it up. Again, pointing to Israel. The issues were all there. And Israel was temporarily the cover of God allowing to bring his presence into the world to forgive people. They were a temporary covering for an eternal blessing in Jesus. And so when Jesus is there and he rebukes this fig tree, I think... It was almost going back to this moment where the fig tree leaves were used to cover up their mistake. Again, I don't believe in coincidences in the Bible. I believe that God ordains things. And God does many things like this throughout scripture to show us it's all connected. And from the very beginning, man's attempt to cover up with a fig leaf, God had to actually remove it by shedding his blood. And that's what brought you and I forgiveness. Lord. Exactly. God is so, so good. It was man's attempt to cover their mistakes. I got way ahead of my notes here. I gotta speed up, sorry. Look, I don't know everyone in this room. I don't know everyone's story. I don't know everyone's sin. You don't know my story. You don't know my sin. But I know this. God is not in this thing just to cover up your mistake. He's in this to completely remove it. There's no sin or action that is too great that God cannot look at And say, I don't forgive that. It's not going to happen. It would make God a liar if he did that. But no action, no sin, no thought, no word, nothing you can do will ever separate you from his love that he has extended towards you in Christ. He loves you. And, And I know it's sometimes hard for us to sit there and go, but you have no idea what I did. No, you don't. I don't. You, you, you say, I, you don't know how bad I am. You're right. I don't know how bad you are, but I know how good he is. And no amount of bad can ever overcome his amount of good. I prayed last night right here at this altar with Pastor Stan, and we prayed. And I said, God, would you send the hurting and the broken, and would you let us as imperfect people love people with your perfect love? Because there is nothing, no divide, no, no action that can ever separate you or pull you from a forgiveness that has been extended to you today. His name is Jesus. He is the one who is here to love, save, forgive, cover everything and remove any ounce of shame or guilt that you have. A fig leaf will not do it. You need the blood of the lamb. And that is who we are. And if you think, man, God can't forgive me, it's because you've listened to the lies of a fig tree rather than the forgiveness that's found in the lamb. There's forgiveness available to every single one of us And I don't care how bad you were. I don't care how bad you are right now. I don't care if you wanna shoot me right now, there's forgiveness to you right now because God loves you right now. The final thing that I wanna point out about this fig tree is number three, the fig tree has a lesson. And then we're gonna go one step further here. And the disciples were shocked. They're going, how in the world did that fig tree just wither up and die? when Jesus just had to speak to it. And what I love is, is Jesus' response. Check this out, he says this. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. See, I love this because Jesus doesn't talk about a tree anymore. He doesn't get in there and say, well, actually, it did did this because when I cursed it, the roots first started to wither. And then the trunk of the tree had a really hard time supporting itself because it had no roots. He didn't do that. He he didn't dive into the, the, the complexities of what happens when something dies. He just said, if you would believe and if you would pray, nothing's impossible. If you would just believe and if you would just pray, again, going back to flipping tables, if you would just be a person of prayer, what can hold you back? There's nothing in this world that will hold back a person of prayer, right? Nothing, there's nothing. And we sit there and we say, but I'm calm and cool on the surface, it's okay. No, 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 let's stop pretending and let's just really get down to the issue of our own hearts. And look, I'm gonna challenge you as much as I've challenged myself with this and I've allowed the spirit of God to speak to me about this. Let's look in our hearts and are there any trees in my life that aren't producing fruit anymore? Because if there are, I just need to push it out. But you say, but it's the size of a mountain. I know it's the size of a mountain. I know it's big. But if it's not producing lo- fruit, it's not producing life in you. And that means we just need to push it aside. Nothing against the mountain, nothing against the tree. But if it's not producing the fruit that we need, we need to push it aside. I, I-, I need to stop being so married to the things of this world that I can't push them aside for Jesus. And say, you know what? It's not producing fruit. I and mean, that's okay. It's served its time. It served its purpose. It's time to push it aside now. And that's what Jesus is really trying to teach his disciples is that a life of faith, a life of prayer isn't about casting a mountain into the sea. It's about removing unnecessary things. This mountain no longer produces or does what it's supposed to do. Push it aside. I'm not gonna waste my time and energy and effort on it anymore. Just push it aside. This fig tree, it doesn't serve a purpose anymore. I'm just gonna push it aside and I'm gonna move on with this thing. And I have to keep moving forward. You see, a life with faith with Jesus, if the worship can join me back on stage, a life of faith isn't, just having great faith to move a mountain. A life of faith in Jesus is having fear. And in the midst of that fear, taking a step forward. See, I I can't tell you today that you're gonna live a fearless life, but I can tell you can fear less. That you can take moments with Jesus and you can step out and allow His, his goodness and his mercy to be with you, to encourage you to continue moving forward. That's that's what courage is. That's what faith is. I don't know. I don't have the answer, but I'm going to step forward because I know that he's good. That's what our life should be. And Jesus, when instructing the disciples here, he's very simple to the point. If you would just pray, if you would just pray, my house is not a house of profit. It's a house of prayer. And Jesus spends the next week talking about prayer. Talking about having communion with him, talking with him, conversation with him. And it's what set up everything for Jesus for this week was prayer. You see, throughout the scriptures, throughout the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus, you constantly read, went away to pray. Went away to pray. Went away to pray. I guarantee you, before they went to Jerusalem, he went away to pray. And then he's in Jerusalem, and he comes in a giant parade. Just this huge, massive celebration that the prophet of God is in Jerusalem. Just five short days later, that same crowd that welcomed him is now cheering and and chanting and screaming and spitting and cussing and cursing and doing all these things to now push him out of town and crucify him. The same crowd. But what got Jesus through a parade of persecution that day on his way to the cross, on his way to Golgotha, was not that he was like, hey, it's okay. It's going to be good. He didn't walk around. I bless thee. He didn't know He spent a night in prayer and he went to his disciples. He said, hey guys, would you pray with me for one hour? He goes away. He comes back and he finds them asleep. He says, guys, would you pray with me for just one hour? He goes away. He prays. He comes back and they're asleep again. He walks over and says, guys, would you just pray with me for one hour? I just just, just need an hour with you right now. Would you pray with me, please? He walks away to go pray and he comes back and they're asleep and he wakes up and says, guys, you missed it. Because right now is the time for me to be betrayed. Right now, my accusers are here and I'm now arrested. And Peter wakes up in a frantic, crazy mood and slices a dude's ear off. Why? Because he was asleep. He didn't know what was going on, so he's surrounded by soldiers. Who wouldn't respond that way? He's scared. But if he would've been awake, if he would've been alert, if he would've been attentive, he would've known this is the moment there's something crazy about to happen, he would've known because he would've been in prayer. How many times have we missed something because we haven't been in prayer? How many times have I pushed God's will aside because I haven't spent time asking what His will is? We are people of prayer. That is who we are. I don't care if you're surrounded in the sanctuary by people in the temple or if you are a lone fig tree by the side of the road. We are to be people of prayer. Because the moment I forsake prayer is the moment I become a deceived person in the temple or I become a lone barren fig tree on the desert. Either way, I offer nothing. We should be people of prayer. People who say, God, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my heart. I don't know what to say in this moment. I don't know what to say. Panda was good last night. God, thank you for food. Start somewhere. Have some type of conversation with him. I'm not asking you to wake up tomorrow morning at 3 o'clock and pray for four hours before you get the kids off to school. It's the last thing that I'm asking you to do. Do you got three spare minutes? You got got five minutes? Maybe before you turn Netflix on. Maybe just, hey, let me just grab the Bible quick. Let me just pray for a minute. Let me just seek God's will. I guarantee you what we do will change. Even just three minutes of time with him. Because it was a parade that led him into Jerusalem and it was a parade of persecution that led him out of Jerusalem because of me. And all he's asking is, would you just be a person of prayer? This Easter, can we take advantage of what Jesus set up for us by giving us full access to God to be people of prayer. He says, my temple, my house is a house of prayer. You are God's house. The question remains, am I a person of prayer? Because that's exactly who I'm supposed to be. My life, foundational prayer. That's the beginning step for everyone. I need to be a person of prayer. And maybe this week, I don't know, you could spend the next couple of days reading through the next chapters of, of Matthew or, or Mark, wherever it is that you choose, as we prepare for Easter. And maybe just spend a couple of minutes just reading a few verses and just praying. As we prepare to celebrate next week, which we do every Sunday, anyways, but the life, the death, the resurrection of our Savior. It's because of His blood that we are forgiven. Just do me a favor, would you, let me pray with you real quick. Father, we give you all the praise. We give you all of the glory in this place. And I know me, speaking personally, God, I can do better. Not that you dislike me because I haven't. Not that you're mad at me because I haven't, but God, I want more of you. I think that's the heart cry of everyone in this room, that we, God, we we want more of you. And so I ask God that you would do that, that we would become a people of prayer, a people who are giving our lives to you, a people who are connected to you, And through that, through the joy of the good parades and the persecution of the negative ones, I pray that we would just focus in on you because it is prayer that gives us the strength to overcome. And I pray that every single one of us would latch on to the say, you know, I'm the house of God and his house is the house of prayer. So I am now a person of prayer. Put that burden inside of each and every one of our hearts, God, as we seek after you, as we worship you, as we give our lives to you. And I pray that your love would remind us of how good and merciful you are. So we give you this day, we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us? You close with the song real quick. Would you stand with us?
1: celebrate with you today so as we go forward
0: let's remember to be people of prayer all right have a great week you guys god bless